Today we are going to look at China, part two. The reason we look at China is because it is in the biblical account of our last days. As we, if you were here last week or watched online, you might want to go back and catch up if you weren't. We talked about the first references in Isaiah 49, and there it mentions a people called Shinnim, S-H-I-N-I-M, and it is the derivation in the Hebrew of the word China, or what is used in our English word China. And it talks about those who are trapped in darkness and those who are prisoners, but one day in a day in the future, Isaiah the prophet said they will be delivered and rescued out of darkness and would be able to sing the praises of God. And I suggest to you today that communism is the prison guard that keeps people in bondage and prevents them from experiencing the freedom that they have as people and the liberty they have as people and the opportunity for the full expression of their Christian faith. So the kings of the East are mentioned in the book of Revelation. The kings of the East, we established last week, we'll continue to do so, is a reference to China, that great horde of army that will come in the last days, and we're going to dig into it right away with the identity of the kings of the East. So if you have your Bibles, you can look with me in the book of Revelation chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. And here the Bible says, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them. Now let's just pause there and be reminded that in John's day, there was only about 100 million people living on planet Earth. So for him to have a vision of something into the future, almost 2,000 years into the future, and see something of this magnitude seems hard to believe. And yet, it was in 1965, the May 21st edition of Time Magazine, that China reported they had a standing army and militia of 200 million men. And so we see an affirmation there. When John watched and he listened and he wrote, he said, I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyneth blue, and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. Now put yourself in John's perspective. He's writing from a heavenly perspective 2,000 years ago, and he's trying to describe in human language, what he saw into the future. What instruments of war did he see, and yet it was all clothed in what we call apocalyptic language, that is, language that is veiled and future-oriented. And he said, I saw an army. I saw an army of red and blue and yellow. And as I watched them, there was something, their horses were like the heads of lions. So he was describing the best he could in the language that he had. What I want to do is I want to take you to a chart, and I want to kind of walk you through some of the things we're going to look at today. If we look at this, uh, the kings of the east, I want to take you back here to the far left. This is what's called the rapture of the church. You can find that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. And what that describes is there's coming a point at which the church will be caught up out of planet Earth, will be with the Lord, those who are dead in Christ will precede them, that is, they will go before them, and that they will meet the Lord in the air. So Christ doesn't actually come to earth at this point. We actually meet him in the air. That will then trigger the tribulation on planet earth. And the tribulation is a period of seven years. 
It's called the Great Tribulation halfway through when we get into that middle and that's where the Antichrist is fully revealed for who he is. He calls on, on mankind to take the mark of the beast. So let me back up. So here we are at the Euphrates River dries up. The Bible says that that is an indication that the armies of the east are going to march toward Jerusalem. Um, you see here, we'll, I'm just gonna fast forward you here to chapter 13. What happens in chapter 13, there is a man of peace that comes at, at the beginning of the tribulation period. He unites the world. Have you noticed there's an effort right now on planet Earth to try to break down borders, to try to say that if you love your country, there's something wrong with you, that we have to be a global village? Well, you see, that's all preparation for what's coming in the days ahead because there's going to have to be a uniting of a one world under one person, uh, a one world currency, and a mindset that guides the entire world, a philosophy. Uh, you may have read a little bit about the Great Reset, and uh, we've talked about it in the past, but there's a very definite effort to reset and using COVID as the basis for resetting the, the global economy. Well, the beast is, um, the Antichrist there is, receives a wound in the head. We don't understand what kind it is, but he appears to be dead. He comes back to life. When he comes back to life, the entire world worships him and is convinced that he indeed is God. And then he institutes the mark of the beast. And we know that number is 666. Now the number six in the Hebrew is a number of man. When you put it three times together, it indicates that this is man at his very worst. So we're gonna see man at his very worst. So we have the tribulation period that takes place in, in Revelation 16 through 19. But notice now we're gonna take you up to the, the Battle of Armageddon, Revelation 16, we've just read. And there's some things that we want to note. One thing we want to note is the army is 200 million. Another thing is the Chinese army happens to be red uh, and yellow, or the flag is red and yellow, and the uh, military badge that you see there is red, blue, and yellow. Now you say, well, that's just a coincidence. Well, it is, but then there's a million coincidences in the Bible. That's why I love it. Amen? You know, I, I, people say, well, you know, we'll see someone healed and we'll see, hear a miracle and say, well, that's, you know, that happens all the time. Yeah, I know, but it just keeps happening and it just happens to confound doctors. We call that a miracle. You can call it a, a divine coincidence. How about that one? But you see, God's working. So what's the origin of this army? The origin is China and the location, where's the battle going to be? Well, you see, the battle is all gonna culminate in Jerusalem, actually in a place called Megiddo. It's where we get the term Armageddon. So in this valley of Megiddo, the armies, all the armies are going to come. The kings of the east, the north, and the south, they're all going to gather, and Psalm 2 tells us, to be against the Lord and against his anointed. So what's the real issue? What's the real problem? God is the real problem that mankind has. Realize that Jesus said that most people are not going to believe even if a man rises from the dead. That's why he describes it as being a broad road that leads to destruction, but a narrow road that re leads to life. So if you're on that narrow road, you are traveling in a minority of people because most people are not doing that. Most people, even who call themselves Christians, what they're doing is Christianity has become a hobby. It has become something that they've adopted, maybe grew up in, but they haven't understood that to be a Christian in this world is to be a warrior. 
It just means you're in a battle. You're in a battle every day of your life. It's a spiritual battle against evil forces, principalities and powers, wicked rulers in high places, and unless you put on the full armor of God, unless you stand in the power of the Spirit on the Word of God, you are not going to survive well in this battle. The church is instrumental in helping you prepare for that battle. The church reminds you that I'm not in this alone. When you look around, you may not know the person to your right or to your left, but you go, we're in this together. We're somehow in this together, amen? Yeah, put your hands together. It's good to be in a battle together. Good to be in a battle together. Now, if I could have that chart up one more time, I wanna show you one more thing. You'll notice here at the end of the Battle of Armageddon or the tribulation period is an event called the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this time, Jesus comes all the way to the earth with the armies of heaven. I really encourage you to read that section. It's a very encouraging section in Scripture. And then uh, you can keep reading, and you'll come into the great white throne judgment. This is the final judgment of God of all those who do not believe. It says, every person on earth who was not listed in the Lamb's Book of Life will stand before God. If you're at the great white throne judgment, by the way, you're not going to heaven, okay? You have to go to the judgment seat of Christ. That's, the, that's where we are evaluated by God. But what we see is the second coming, and then following the second coming will be what's called a millennial reign of Christ on earth. If you've ever heard the scripture, you know, the lion and the lamb lay down together, okay? That is picturing the millennium. Now, they can lie down together today, but only the lion gets up, amen? Let's go to Revelation chapter 16 and see some more of this uh, scripture. Revelation 16, verses 12 through 6, 16. Then the sixth angel poured out the bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its waters was dried up so that the way from the kings of the east might be prepared. So here we see one of the things that can mark kind of where we are chronologically as we start to kind of build our understanding of the last days and what they're going to look like is this kings of the east are gonna march. And he said, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, and the mouth of the false prophet. Now let's just kind of slow down here a minute and see what's happening. So John, remember, he's writing with the best language he can, and what he says is, I saw unclean spirits. An unclean spirit would be a demonic spirit, okay? It would be something that's fallen away from God, is now working evil. So we see evil working in this day, but the scripture is clear to define them as the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. This indeed is an unholy trinity. Remember, everything that Satan does, he tries to copy and then pervert what God has done. So we have a holy trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Satan says, I need one of those. So I'm gonna have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. But notice what it says, for they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to all the kings of the earth. So what do these demons do? They go and they empower these kings that are bent on the destruction of planet Earth. They go out, they empower those who are already tired of God and wanna break those, those barriers and those bonds that, that God has put on them. And it says the whole world, and they gather together. It says they gather together to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So God calls Armageddon the battle of God. It's where God says once and for all, I'm gonna show you who's God. Once and for all, I'm going to demonstrate my power. All of you who said, if there's a God, let him strike me dead now, will be found foolish in that day. 
So many times in my ministry, I've heard people say, well, if there's really a God, then let him do this. Do you realize the greatest judgment of God until this day will be the judgment of neglect? Where God allows you just to spin out of control, go your own way, and let your own choices be your consequences in life. So God is not looking to throw firebrands in the backyard to keep you alert, wake you up. I had a tailor one time years ago, and I went to get a suit, and this is when suits were really in. And he was always nervous. I said, you're such a nervous guy. Why are you always nervous? And he said, well, I'm only nervous around you. <laughs> well, that's encouraging. I said, why? Well, you're a pastor. And I said, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. You know, I just know what all I've been doing. And when I get around you, I get nervous, and I'm afraid there's going to be, you know, like lightning bolts in my backyard or something. And I said, no, I don't think it's going to work that way. I said, but let's, if you don't cut the suit right, it may happen. Let's look what it says here. Now, these are spirits that go out. They're spirits of demons performing signs. So one of the marks of these demonic spirits in that day is what? They're going to work signs. They're going to work miracles. You see, signs and miracles can be from God. They can be counterfeited from Satan. That's why the Bible says to test the spirits to see whether they be of God. For not every spirit is of God. Years ago, Tammy and I were in Washington, D.C., and we were, had a couple of meetings. We, we met with uh, a member of Congress, uh, and then we met with the Coptic bishop of Egypt. And I remember standing outside waiting uh, kind of for the right time and to go in, and we were a little bit early. And all of a sudden, I see a man in a, in a black robe suit, a black hat, this giant gold cross on it. And I looked at Tammy, and I said, I need a new outfit. This was so impressive, and I just looked at it and go, there's no doubt, this guy believes something, right? So we went in there, and there was about eight of us sitting around in a room, and it was really on the, the prayer for the persecuted church was the event, and the, the Coptic bishop said this as we began. He said, before I say anything, I have to make sure all of you know the Lord. So each one of you go around the room and give your testimony and if I don't think you're saved, I'm going to ask you to leave the room. Puts a lot of pressure on your testimony, doesn't it? And we all passed the test, fortunately, and then he said to us, he said, the reason I say that is, he said, I've had no less than 50 attempts on my life this year. My house has been blown up three times, and I'm in a battle all day long, and I cannot trust anyone who doesn't have a sound testimony for Jesus Christ. Do you have a sound testimony for Jesus Christ? If you were in the room with, the, with the, the Coptic bishop of Egypt, would you be allowed to stay in the room? The Bible says always examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith. Not that you have faith, that you're in the faith, that you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. Well, these kings of the earth that said they worked signs, these demons did, they came to the kings of the earth that they might gather for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And then as if it's there's a stepping back, and John says, it has this revelation. He says, behold, I'm coming as a thief. Do you realize that a thief never announces his coming? Can you imagine getting a phone call? I'm going to be at your house. To, I'd like to have you leave a door open, but if not, I plan to break in on the downstairs window. Well, what would you do? 
Well, you'd probably find something to club him, shoot him, or, or whatever you would do with him, right? Because you're saying, I'm prepared. I will prepare. I'll call the police. I'll do what I need to do to be prepared. Do you realize the Bible says Jesus is coming as a thief in the night? I hear people all the time say, well, he can't come back until such and such and such and such. Totally untrue. There is what's called the doctrine of eminence. What it means is that he can come anytime he so feels free to come. So I thought the gospel had to be preached to the whole world. No, that gospel will be preached to the whole world before the end. The end. Greek word teleos, the end of the age. Guess how that's going to get done? Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7. It says an angel flies with preaching and proclaiming the everlasting gospel to the whole world. It's not relying on you and me. God knows we're going to drop the ball. If that's not enough, then what does he do? He sends 144,000 Jewish evangelists, and they preach the gospel of the kingdom. If that's not enough, he sends two witnesses, all right? Probably Enoch and Moses. We're not sure. That's debatable. Some say Elijah and Enoch, but they're going to preach. They're going to be killed, and then they're going to rise from the dead. There's three witnesses right there for the kingdom during that period. God will make sure every single person has the gospel message in their heart. Now, let's go on. He says, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, this looks pretty good. I like this coat. He's talking about the garments of your righteousness, the thing that makes you stand out in this world as a Christian. He said, are you, are you watching, are you watching, are you ready for his return, and are you walking in righteousness, lest he walk naked? I don't know about you, but that's not a good thing. Amen? What does it mean? It means to be unclothed, that is, without righteousness, and they see his shame. Do you realize shame is something that comes to someone who doesn't know God? If you know God, you should never be ashamed. You can be convicted of sin, but shame is a word that you can't find your way out of. And it says, and they gathered together in the place in the Hebrew called Armageddon. So what are the couple of characteristics of these times we want to remember? There's going to be increased demonic activity during this time period. There's also going to be the revelation of this unholy trinity of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Now, if we had more time, we'd drill into this. In fact, we're going to start next week. I'm going to be talking about the seven telltale signs that we're living in the last days. Uh, you're going to find this. Uh, it's going to be a several-week series. I'm not sure how long it'll be, but we're going to jump into it with, uh, like I normally do, a cannonball into the pool. What is the agenda of the kings of the east? You know, there's a, a mystic by the name of Nostradamus. I don't believe he's a prophet of God, but I thought it was interesting what he wrote in the 16th century. He said, the great Asiatic empire will spread across the sea and the continents to destroy the Christian world. Do you know what's at stake right now in America? Christianity. Christianity. It's not religion. Religion's fine. What's not in vogue is Christianity. You realize the reason that Target is open and Walmart is open and the small mom and pop store next door is closed is because in socialism you create an upper-level elite, large business, large tech, 
and then you eliminate the middle class altogether, and then you have the lower grouping, group of working people, they'd call the proletariat in Russia, and so what you do is if you eliminate the middle class, you eliminate pro-family people, you eliminate a lot of entrepreneurs, 80% of the small businesses in, uh, or the businesses in California are small businesses. You eliminate people of faith. You eliminate people that have an independence because if they own their own business, they don't depend on the government. So the strategy here is, is to control and eliminate middle class so that then the upper elite, who always do well in socialism and, and communism, and keep them in power and keep them moving the ship forward according to their own devices. Well, let's talk a little bit about China. Now, let me just say this. Uh, I have Chinese friends. I, I thoroughly admire the Chinese church. I thoroughly admire uh, Asian people. We have many Asian friends, many Asians in this church. We love you. This is not directed at you. This is directed at the government. Are you with me? All right. What is China, from an ideological standpoint, trying to do to America? Well, first of all, they're trying to disrupt and control. Keep that in mind, disrupt and control. We've heard a lot. We've been living now for 10, 11, 12 months with the uh, coronavirus, and we've had a lot of subjects that have come up and a lot of speculation on where did it come from, how did it get here, why were we notified, and all those things. A lot of questions none of us can answer, quite honestly. Let me just tell you some things that I think we do know without a shadow of a doubt. The virus first appeared in Wuhan, China. I think that's indisputable. Everyone would agree with that. Another thing that's really interesting is Wuhan Institute of Virology is China's only P4 lab. Now, there are only four levels of lab. One would be the, the lowest, and then four would be the highest. So in highest, you would, have, you would be able to examine things like Ebola, okay? So you would take the worst of the worst, and you would look at them. So this is the only place in China with a P4 lab. In 2016, now this, this is indisputable, we know these are facts. 2016, we know that the Wuhan um, Institute there, the Viral Institute, researchers conducted experiments with RT, RAT G13, the bat coronavirus, that's 2016, three years before we found out it was on its way, identified by, uh, by Wuhan in January, uh, identified in January 20 as its closest sample to the SARS-CoV-2 96.2% similar, according to our U.S. State Department. Indisputable fact. We also know, this is indisputable, Chinese Communist Party prevented independent journalists, investigators, global health authorities from interviewing researchers at the Institute. Indisputable. If you have nothing to hide, you don't do that. Another indisputable fact, in 2015, the Obama administration and the National Institute of Health under Dr. Fauci, remember him, outsourced to Wuhan Virology Lab by awarding them a $3.7 million in research grants for specific gain of function. If you really want to say this, you look up gain of function, coronavirus experimentation on bats. Those are all indisputable. Now, if you think it came out of a wet market in Wuhan, I have a bridge in New York to sell you. I believe it was, I don't know if it was purposely or accidentally released, but I believe it came out of a lab. And everybody that was of scientific um, importance that spoke out against it have somehow disappeared in China. 
Let's talk about land. Another agenda that China has is land. Currently, there are 30 million acres of American farmlands owned by foreign investors, or 2.2% of all American farmland. For context, that's an area roughly the size of Mississippi or Pennsylvania. So you've basically eliminated one state in terms of its square miles to a foreign nation. China owns more residential real estate than any other foreign country. According to MarketWatch, Chinese buyers accounted for 25% of the total foreign investment in U.S. residential real estate. Let's go to finance. Bloomberg is heavily invested in China, which is perhaps why Michael Bloomberg refuses to even refer to the People's Republic of China as a dictatorship that it is. For Bloomberg, it is far more insidious relationship than other American media companies. They have sent $150 billion into Chinese bond markets to 364 countries. Out of the 364, 159 were directly controlled by the Chinese government. How about CNN? Everybody's favorite. Is a property of Warner Media, which is very closely tied to the People's Republic of China. They have a $50 million investment deal with the, public, uh, with the uh, Chinese government. Specifically, this is an investment in Chinese media capital, a private company subject to the censorship of the Chinese government. Now, those are just a few agenda items that you see, and these are not, these are not something you can't find. This is just there for you to find, okay? It's on the table. So I, is there reason for concern? Absolutely there's reason for concern. But there's also reason for hope and courage. And I believe that we need a good balance of give me the facts and then remind me who I am, right? Remind me that I am not, I'm not just a person on planet Earth who is helpless. I'm a child of the living God. I'm a son and a daughter of the Lord. I've been covered in the blood of the Lamb. I've been filled with the Spirit of the living God. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that I am looking forward and upward every day of my life because I know that nothing touches my life unless the Lord allows it to touch me for the furtherance and the purification and the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen? I think we're in a season of preparation. I thoroughly enjoy this season. I really do. I just, there's just something about this season that makes the church the church. And I've watched, you've watched consumerism eat up the church. We've watched the church uh, be played as a hobby. It's kind of convenience, and we try, to, we try to justify it somewhere along the way, but this is a season of preparation. Let me take you to Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking, now look, here's what we look at. Do you look at the problem? No. You look at the blessed hope, Jesus, the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Where you focus your attention, it'll take you emotionally down that path. If I focus on God and what God is doing, it's gonna take me on the path of God and what God is doing. It's going to give me hope. You remember, remember when Jesus was walking on the water? Wouldn't you love to have been there? He's walking on the water, and, and uh, all of a sudden, Peter looks out, and he was the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. Remember him? 
I mean, he just always just got into it somehow. And he said, uh, Jesus, bid me to come. Now, you know, can you imagine the grumbling that was going on among the other guys? There he goes again, that Peter. You know, always getting in trouble, always doing something, think he's the favorite. And Jesus says, come, Peter, come. He gets out of the boat, he starts walking on the water. Now, can you imagine what was going on in the boat before he sinks, okay? Let's just think about it. God, you got to be kidding me. Now he's really going to be the favorite. He's walking on the water. And then the scripture has this little shift, and it says, and he looked at the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. What did he do? He took his eyes off Jesus, and he began to sink. You know what I love about that scripture? It doesn't say he sunk. I promise you this. If I step out of a boat, I will sink. I will not begin to sink. I will sink. I will be an anchor until my fat creates buoyancy, and I float to the top. I'm sinking. I, I, I'm, I'm down. He began to sink. Do you know what happens when you take your eyes off Jesus? You start to lose your stability, but you don't sink. Are you hearing me? You don't sink to the bottom. You say, well, I, I blew it. So get back up. Get back up. What did Peter do? He rescued, or Jesus rescued Peter from that situation. He will rescue from those situations. Just keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes looking at him. I believe this is also a season where it's a call for gathering together. I did an interview on the Epoch Times uh, television station a few weeks ago, and one of the things that was very curious, I don't know if you know, it's actually owned by Chinese businessmen who came to America because of the oppression of communism, and once they got here, they realized that some of the same things that were happening in China were starting to happen in America. And that's when they started to publish in English. It was originally all Chinese uh, newspaper. And they were so, uh, we talked at length before the, uh, the formal TV interview, and we talked about uh, what's going on in the underground church and the, and the, and, and the, um, the state-run church in China. And I made this comment. I said, I believe we're seeing this happen in America. I believe there's the believing church, and I believe there's the conforming church. And I believe there is a division coming in the church in America, and I think it's a good thing. Because I, sooner or later, you have to be able to say, I'm going to believe God for everything. I'm not going to conform to the government. I mean, we've got, if, if we didn't have the Bible alone, we have the, the First Amendment. We should be standing on these things. But I believe there is a believing church and a conforming church that is coming to America. Look what the Bible says, though, about us gathering together. It's not, we're not supposed to gather because it's convenient. It's not convenient. It wasn't convenient for me to get up today. I would have loved to have watched online. How fun would that have been? Valentine's Day, got my bride here, we're sitting here eating pancakes, watching church. Doesn't get any better than this. It's not convenient. We don't go to church because it's convenient. We don't go to church because it's easy. We go to church because Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose from the dead on the third day. We go because we're the body of God. We're the body of Christ living and breathing. We're a manifestation of God on earth, and we have to gather. We have to stand in days like this. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. You see, he said, Hebrews, I don't want you to, to, to lose hope. I don't want you to lose that confession of hope. He says, do it without wavering, for he promises faithful. Hold to your faith. 
Don't let it go. People are gonna try to pry it out of your hands. Pry your faith out of your hands. Pry the Bible out of your hands. Pry the, the destiny out of your hands. Don't let it happen because he who, is, who has promised is faithful. And let us consider one another how to stir up love and good works. You know what we're supposed to do to each other? How do I stir you up? It's a picture of stirring up a fire. You know when the fire starts to burn kind of low and you kind of just got the embers there and you go like, we gotta, we gotta get this thing going again. It, you know, it's too hard to start a fire. Do you know how hard it is to start a fire? I mean, I have, I have literally taken uh, lighter fluid, soaked logs, and I can't get it started. I don't know how California burns down. I can't even get wood in a fireplace to start with lighter fluid. So here's the picture. Fire's burning down. You've got the red embers there. You go, you know, if we, we need to put another log on there, we need to blow on that, we need to stir it up. So he says stir it up. So in your faith, are you stirring it up? You see, you got the embers. You got the heat down in your belly. You got the fire in your heart. He says stir it up. What do we do? We stir each other up in love and good works. We say to you, hey, are you loving people? Are you loving people into the kingdom? Are, are you stirring up good works? Are you doing something with your faith? Your faith is supposed to be more than just come and sit. It's supposed to be go and do. It's supposed to engage in the world. It's supposed to get excited about what God is doing and let people know about the works. And then he says this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You see what happens, people say, well, you know, I, I don't know if I need the church. I got online, I got my Bible, I've been a Christian a long time. That guy up there, he's not gonna tell me anything new. I heard it all, 10 times. The warning, first century warning, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ drawing near. I don't know when the Lord's coming back, but I know we're closer than anybody's ever been before, amen? right? Now, that's not real profound, but it's true. But I look at the evidence that I see in my world, and I go, we may be closer than I thought we were to the end of this age. So he says here, what do I do? Not forsake myself together, but as a matter of some, but, it, but what encouraging one another so much more as you see the day approaching. About three or four years ago, I had, I really just felt like God was speaking to my heart, and I wrote some things down, and one of the things I said God was doing, God was assembling people to this place for a purpose. But I began to see people that were moving here, people that were shifting over here uh, to this church, and I knew there was a purpose behind it. Um, I think of uh, Simon and Bethany and, and how you guys commuted from Ventura for, what, three or four months, six, six months with two preschoolers because they were convinced God wanted them here. Now Bethany's on our staff here, and Simon's helped me with American faith. But why? Because God was putting it in their heart. I was on the phone with somebody just, just a couple of days ago, and they said, we're moving. We're moving to California. It doesn't make any sense. I know people are leaving. I said, well, if they're leaving, somebody's buying their houses because these houses don't last very long. You know, what I, you know what I think happens? I think we get in our mindset the wrong attitude about life. We think life is about convenience. We think life is about retirement. We think life is about getting a better deal on our income tax in another state. We miss the whole point. Your life was never supposed to be about that. Your life was supposed to be about your investment in the kingdom for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and being where God wants you to be. 
Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't want some people in other places. I'm just saying if you have the, if your motive is anything other than God showed me, God opened the door for me, I'm running from something instead of going to something that was God's plan, you're missing out on what God's doing. See, the grace of God will always keep you where the will of God has led you. Amen? Well, this is a time of expectation. I love these next scriptures. If this doesn't get you excited, if this doesn't light your wood, your wood's wet. Are you ready? All right, here it goes. If you get excited and want to clap and stand up during these scriptures, you just do it. Right, this is what it says, Mark chapter 13. But of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know what time it is. Matthew 24, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew 24, 44, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What if he comes this afternoon? Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? If you're not ready, you need to get ready right now before you leave this place, amen? Revelation 22, verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy and of this book. You see, he's always reminding us, remember that I talked about early, the doctrine of eminence. What does that mean? He can come anytime. He can come now. I want to be ready. You say, well, that, you're kind of scaring me, preacher. Well, let me tell you something. I got saved because I got scared. I read a book in college called The Late Great Planet Earth, and it basically said, if you didn't believe, you were toast. I kind of knew that was probably true. I went out and got a little New Testament. I started reading it. First time I ever really read the Bible. And I read it through four times in the first month, cover to cover. Matthew to Revelation, New Testament. And at my conclusion, if this is true, I'm in trouble. Because everything it said not to do, I've already done like four times. Right? But you see, the, the Bible became a mirror to me. It became a revelation of my condition, my spiritual condition. And I didn't know any Christians at the time. I didn't know how to pray. And I prayed the best I could. I just said, God, I believe what I've been reading. I believe Jesus died and rose from the dead. And I believe all these things. And I, I didn't hear any angel wings or heavenly bells. I didn't look different, but there was something different inside of me. See, the Spirit of God had come inside of me. I didn't know how to articulate that, but he had come inside of me. He had transformed me into a child of the living God. And little by little, you know, I, I started to see my life change and my, my understanding of God change. And I began to, to know, now I know what I believe. But it happened because I came face to face with reality. I don't know him. Some people say, I don't know him, but I want to know him. Some people say, I'm not sure if I know him. And others of you would say, I know that I know him. There's no doubt about it. I want to talk to those first two groups today. If you say, I don't know him, I want you to pray a prayer with me here in a moment. If you say, I'm not sure, I'm going to ask you to pray the same prayer. But don't, once you pray this prayer with your heart, you don't have to keep praying this prayer. You don't get saved 40 times, right? You get saved one time. You put your faith in him and what he did, the revelation of the scripture, and he saves you. What does that mean? That means you're now his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. You come into the kingdom of God. Your name is written in the book of life. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. Pray this prayer. You can pray it out loud. If you're, 
Uh, if, you wanna, if, if you know you're Christian, but you want to pray it out loud just to encourage people around you, you can do that. But here's the prayer. Here's how the prayer goes. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you were buried in a tomb, that you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Come into my life. Save me, Lord Jesus. I crown you king. I crown you Lord. I will follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for washing me in the blood of the Lamb who died at Calvary for my sins. Now, just you can just say amen. You can close in your own words and just thank God. But if that was your decision, I want you to know that God did exactly what he said he would do. He would save you from your sins.